All right. Good to be together with such a lovely group. Thank you for all the messages that people have been uh, sending by email and also by uh, posting here. Uh, it's lovely we can all be uh, together in all uh, various places. Now we're going to have a little talk on the Heart Sutra, something we chant all the time, but maybe from time to time we should also reflect on what the words are saying. And that's what we're going to do now. Because it is a sutra, we're going to re recite the uh, sutra opening verse three times. It's on the uh, page two of your sutra book, or the I think the first page of your sutra book. Actually. The Dharma, incomparably profound and infinitely settled, is always encountered but rarely perceived. Now we see, hear, receive, and maintain this. May we all realize that the Tagata's true meaning. The Dharma, incomparably profound and infinitely subtle, is always encountered but rarely perceived. Now we see, hear, receive, and maintain this. Maybe all realize that the Tagata's true meaning. Dharma, incomparably profound and infinitely subtle, is always encountered but rarely perceived. Now we see, hear, receive, and maintain this. May we all realize the Tathagata's true meaning. Well, our subject today is the Heart Sutra. That's something I didn't have to distribute to everyone because we all have copies of it. We chant it every week at all our Zazen Kai here at uh, Tree Leaf. About every Buddhist temple from uh, China to Tibet to Korea and everywhere in between. Uh, it's a Mahayana text. It's one considered one of the uh, perfection of wisdom literature texts. And actually, it's the heart, this, the heart of it, uh, of the perfection of wisdom text. The perfection of wisdom texts are, are usually uh, described by their length of uh, 100,000 lines and 40,000 lines. They all teach the same lessons of what we're going to be talking about, this perfection of wisdom. But the Heart Sutra gets right to the heart of it. It's short. It's to the point. It's all contained right in there. It's the, uh, what do you say, the Heart Sutra in a nutshell. Is the, the, the perfection of wisdom in a nutshell. That's what the heart means. It's the heart of the perfection of great wisdom. The Prajna Paramita, the perfection 
of great wisdom. Perfection in this case is something like a, a, a virtue, uh, something we try to perfect in ourselves. And when we do, we realize the perfection of this, well, this whole life and world. And that realization is the great wisdom. And what is it based on? It's based on emptiness. And that is the subject of the Heart Sutra. Now the Heart Sutra we, we usually just chant throwing our whole heart into it. We may not really even understand what the words are saying. We may be chanting it in Chinese or Japanese or Korean. But once in a while it's good to reflect on what is being taught here because this is not just a mystical text. It's not a, a mysterious secret koan. It is a text presenting a certain viewpoint, the teachings of Buddhist philosophy that must be understood for this practice to, to, to flower. Now that doesn't mean you understand these teachings just intellectually. Even though now we're going to try to read them and understand them intellectually, you must understand them also in your heart. That's another reason it's called the heart of the Heart Sutra. And you must realize that in the heart of life, actually putting these teachings into practice, into life, bringing them to life, right here in the heart of life. That's also why it's called the Heart Sutra. Now, interpretations of the Heart Sutra vary from Buddhist scholar to Buddhist scholar. It's a little bit like the U.S. Constitution. People do read it somewhat different ways. And all we can do at times is give an interpretation. And today, uh, I'll be giving mine. But I believe this is, what I'll be telling you, is the heart of the Heart Sutra. And uh, see if it uh, rings a bell in your heart. The great perfection of wisdom. It's the perfection of great wisdom. What is this wisdom? This wisdom is not just to be smart, it's not just to be wise, it is to realize the dance of emptiness and to dance it. Sometimes you've heard me describe emptiness as a dance, that we realize that we feel like we're, we're kind of separate dancers, born on this world, we don't know how we got here, we don't know where it's going, we popped up here in the middle of all this chaos. We're, we feel like separate people with all these other people bouncing around. But when you realize emptiness, you realize it's all a great dance and we're one of the dancers of this dance. The dance spun us out. We spin on the stage, someday we'll spin back in, but the dance goes on and on. And then when you get truly to the heart of the perfection of wisdom, truly it's emptiness, you realize that we are just the dance. The dance is the dancers, and the dancers are the dance. We are here to dance. We are the dance dancing itself. That's who we are. We are this life world self. I sometimes write that with hyphens, life world self. You feel like you're you, and here's life, and there's the world. But it's a great life world self, this great dance. That's my way. When people ask Jundo to present emptiness, 
That's how I do it with this image of the dance. And the Heart Sutra is talking about this, this great wisdom. But, interesting enough, it begins with a teaching by the teacher of compassion. People say Buddhism is based on two wings that are needed to fly, wisdom and compassion. If you just have wisdom, you just see emptiness, it's, you can leave you cold. You must have compassion. The, the Bodhisattva's vow to take these teachings and save all sentient beings, to make this world a better place through these teachings. And that is symbolized by canon. Canon, Avalokitesvara, Bodhisattva. Another name for her is canon, Avalokitesvara. She actually was a he in China and then kind of gradually took on a feminine image, but she's beyond he or she. She's the symbol of compassion. And interesting enough, it's the symbol of compassion in the sutra that is giving the teaching and practicing this wisdom. And I think this is to show that the two cannot be separate. If you just take this wisdom without the compassion, it's cold. The life is missing from life. And who is Avalokitesvara teaching here? Shariputra. Shariputra was a disciple of the Buddha who was considered a bit too intellectual. This is actually a kind of Socratic dialogue. If you've ever read Plato or Socrates or Aristotle, they have the, the dialogue with the student where the student asks a dumb question and Socrates or Plato sets them straight. Well, this is actually what's going on here. Shariputra, who's kind of overly intellectual type and we'll see what that he's very analytical and we'll see what that analysis is comes to Avalokitesvara and Avalokitesvara says you know that's all good but don't be so analytical don't be so philosophical about it put this teaching to life and that's what we have here so it begins Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva awakened one of compassion. In Prajnaparamita, the deep practice of perfect wisdom, there's an image to me that she's meditating and tasting this perfect wisdom, this emptiness. And in this taste of emptiness, Avalokitesvara perceived the emptiness of all five conditions and was free of suffering. Okay? And it's really right there. Now let me tell you what is great about this sutra as far as I'm concerned. This sutra is about a couple thousand years ahead of its time. The Buddha and his, even more so than the Buddha, his, some of his later disciples, generations down, realized how much of this world in great part if not the whole thing, somebody debated about this, but at least in very very great part is created 
right here between the eyes but not only between the eyes it's the stuff outside us coming in through the senses the eye the ear the nose the tongue up to here getting reprocessed getting cut into pieces categorized labeled the good stuff the bad stuff the blue stuff the red stuff and the yellow stuff the big stuff the little stuff the stuff we like the stuff we do not like and the world is created here it's the old thing that if uh, you know you try to explain to a uh, an intelligent fish who's never been out of the ocean what the air is it might be difficult if you ever tried to explain to a, a blind man who had never seen his whole life the color red what red is he couldn't explain it because no experience but the experience that we have of this world is created so much here you think right now you're looking at a jindo you see behind me a buddha statue you think you're looking at a computer screen and you are but also these labels jindo buddha computer screen right here uh buddha is a nice buddha jindo is a good guy the tree out there is a nice tree the weeds in the garden are not so nice da -da -da -da. all labels and categories we impose here and that's fine we need that for life i mean if i didn't feel i was me and you were you and i didn't have uh, things uh, my the mind into category if i didn't know the difference let's say between a, a bed and a refrigerator i might sleep in the refrigerator you know you got to have you got to know what the different things are you got to know uh, how a car works you got to know uh, what uh, which kid is your kid and that's what's it, the difference between a tree and, a, and, a, and a, the, the ocean otherwise you're going to go you can't go swimming in a tree you understand what i'm saying we need up here to break the world into all these pieces to label them to organize them this is what separates us from the from the amoeba this is what separates us from the the worms and the the bugs though I'm sure in their way they're also in their brains organizing the world in some way human beings have developed these incredibly complex brains and what have they allowed us to do they have allowed us to organize the world in some sense conquer the world conquer nature sometimes nature is winning we're destroying nature and doing it but at least we have the power to for the first time to determine our destiny and what happens here we think of the future and we can plan for the future we think of the past and we learn from the past worms maybe can't do that even maybe my cat i don't know if he has a sense of the future or the past so much he's smarter than the worms i think but it's human the human mind that learned to break the world into pieces and we took that as a tool and we've made these this great world that's you know everything here the computer was invented because the human mind could engineer this world here every choice you make from the time you get in the morning you've made the choice to get out of bed to turn on the computer and come sit zazen with us that's your brain that allows you to do that planning this is a wonderful tool but it also has a downside it causes us to suffer 
because the world is so much in pieces up here that sometimes it seems like chaos and broken pieces. We have so many likes and dislikes up here that sometimes we cling to the things we like and we are deathly afraid of the things we fear. And of course that's good. You know, we, we need to fear tigers, otherwise, uh, you know, it keeps us alive. We need to fear, uh, you know, bad guys who might rob us and we need to stay safe as for self-preservation. This is what the brain has allowed us to do to keep us alive. But at the same time, it makes us afraid. It makes us separate from life. It breaks life into pieces. The Heart Sutra, or I should, I should say the Buddha's disciples who analyzed this process 2,000 years ago realized the same thing. How much of life is made up here, labeled, categorized into things that are good, things that are bad, things we like, things we don't like, things we fear. And they said, what happens if you reverse the process? The world that's broken into pieces comes together and is whole. And this is Buddhism. Or one, the heart of Buddhism. Then the Buddha was teaching that you have to realize that all these things around us are kind of like a dream. And if you realize that, you can be free of it. And then for after the Buddha's time, his disciples for generations tinkered with that to figure out exactly how to do that the best way, using all kinds of meditation techniques, all kinds of philosophy to analyze the process that was going up here of creating the world from the data coming through the senses. And it's all intimately connected. You have to understand this process is not just something that happens in the brain, but the outside world, the data about the outside world, like the light, the light beams that go into the eye, they go up to the brain, they get processed, cause the brain to react, and our hand to go out and reach out into the world. This is intimately in a Buddhist perspective, one thing. It's not like you're, you're, there's your mind and there's a world out there. Some Buddhists will say that. But most Buddhists agree that it is so intimately connected that the world outside and your the data coming in and your perception of the world outside up here and how you judge it and then your reaction to it is really one great thing. And then it was realized that it's kind of like a great dance of all the outside world and the inside world processed and going out. And then if you can stop cutting the world into those little pieces all the time, you can taste wholeness. If you can drop some of the likes and dislikes, you can find a great, shall I say, okayness about it all. If you drop uh, some of the the thoughts about how things should be or your disappointment of how things were or how you wish things were would be and then not like they are now I don't want this in my life I don't want that in my life I don't want to get sick I don't want to get old I want to be richer I want to marry this other person I'm not the person I'm married to of course this is all part of life we don't want to get sick we don't want to get old sometimes we need to change relationships but at the same time Buddhists discovered how you can drop all that away. Drop thoughts of how the future should be and just be with the way things are. Drop thoughts of how you want things to go and just go with the flow. 
drop thoughts of how uh, you fear getting old, getting sick, dying, and again, just be in the flow in the most radical sense. Just allow it. Go with it. This is all what's discussed in the Heart Sutra. So, this great emptiness of the five conditions. The five conditions are basically the, the brain process that creates the world. You have outside form, sensations that come in, our perceptions of it, mental formations, and consciousness. People in Buddhism have been debating exactly what those mean for a long time, and I don't think it's so important to our discussion to really get into the nuts and bolts of that. That's what Sharaputra did. He was too much intellectually a philosopher debating and debating exactly what is perception, what is formation, what is consciousness, what is form. The Buddhist philosophers have debated, is the world all up here and the outside is just a dream or is there something out there? Uh, all things are changing. Is anything not changing? Is there anything that's permanent? Or all things are impermanent, like the Buddha said, or he only meant most things are impermanent? Or Go to the simple formula. As a matter of fact, I believe in some cases modern science has replaced this old way of looking at things, which was brilliant, and said basically the same thing. But modern science now tells us this. There's the outside world, comes in through the senses, gets processed up here, brain tells us how to react, we go out, we react, it creates an image of us separate from the outside, we label it, uh, we put names on it, and this is how our image of the world is created. You know, you have never seen anything in life really because it's all light you're looking at a, a movie in your head you know for example right now you think you're seeing a computer right look at look the you see the computer screen you're not looking at the computer you're looking at photons that have come into your eyes been turned into electrical signals that went up to the brain and somewhere on like a movie screen up there it has created a image mental image that makes you think I'm seeing this computer there. And I'm sure there's something out there. I'm sure there's maybe a thing like a computer out there. But in your mind, what you're seeing is here. So scientists, I mean, philosophers have debated whether it's all up here or whether there's something out there. I think there's something out there, but it's also so much of it is up here. And when you realize that this process is this deep interconnection, and you stop cutting it into these tiny little pieces and you stop judging it and you see the wholeness of it all and you just go with the flow of it all and you find I'm not a dancer separate in the dance bouncing into all these other dancers I am the dance and you just go with the flow of this great dance you're free so that is the emptiness that he realized was actually at the heart of this great mental process that's going on of, uh, let's say, external form processed by sensations, permission, for, for perceptions, formations, and consciousness. It's all just this great 
emptiness. And the outside world that looks so solid, it is, is also just emptiness. And all the stuff in the world, you, your wife, your kid, your car, your the tax bill, your job, this is also, it's all there. I mean, if you don't pay your taxes, they're going to come and take away your house, your imaginary house. But from another perspective in Buddhism, it's all just this great dance of emptiness when you stop the judging and cutting into pieces up here. So that's why it says, emptiness is no other than form. This stuff, tax bill, job, wife, whatever. I hear my imaginary kid running around outside kicking an imaginary soccer ball is all at the same time this great whole dance of emptiness. And it's so much so, he, he tells you exactly how much it's emptiness in the most intimate sense. In other words, it's not that form has emptiness inside it. it emptiness is no other than form. Form is no other than emptiness. Form is precisely emptiness and emptiness precisely form cannot emphasize this strongly enough and that's just form the whole mental process is all this great emptiness sensations the perceptions the formation the consciousness are also precisely this emptiness and this emptiness is them you're the dancer dancing the dance that's here and this outside world coming together and you're in it and you think you're a separate creature alive in this world that's sometimes beautiful and sometimes ugly and sometimes just like you like it and sometimes so disappointing and really it's just this great wondrous emptiness dance oh Sharaputra all things are expressions of emptiness and then he gets down into the details of what that is and I think we may talk about that next time because in our next talk today because what he's saying is all the mess things that look like they're born things that look like they die things that you taste things that you touch it's all this great dance of emptiness and it's not really there it's like you're watching a movie in a movie theater and in the movie it's got Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and they're on the screen and they really look real but they're not there it's light on the wall right coming out of the projector I mean I'm sure there was a the, don't take this analogy so far I mean they, they made a movie somewhere and they put it on film but when you're watching the film it looks so real well this film we're watching in our heads also looks so real on the film people get shot and they die and the uh, people are born babies are born on this but really it's just this dance and at the same time while people are born and people are dying and, and the world is turning on the other hand it's not because of this perspective of emptiness where it's just this great going on and this is what we taste in Zazen. So I think we'll we'll leave it there. We'll pick that up in our, our next talk uh, later today. And uh, 
Right now, let's sit a little zazen and just taste that emptiness, dropping a little bit the thoughts of the future and the worries and the remembrances of the past and the regrets and the thinking about the job and the tax bill and just sit dancing that dance even though it looks like we're sitting still we are dancing that dance okay. uh, we, we won't uh, do the verse to close the sutra until uh, the end of the day so right now we'll just sit you can sit there where you are